Hey, this is Donald Ray Pollock, and you're listening to Booked. Two guys teach you about the books they want to read. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Tonight, we bring you the next installment in our Intro 2 series, which is our Intro to Hard Boiled. Joining us this evening as our teacher and expert is Nick Corpon. Nick is the author of Stay God, Old Ghosts by the Nails of the War Priest, and the forthcoming collection Bar Scars. His stories have bloodied the pages of Needle Magazine, Crime Factory, Shotgun Honey, and more, and reviews books for Spine Tingler, Noir Journal, and The Nervous Breakdown. He lives in Baltimore. Uh, Nick, thanks for coming back on the show and taking some time to talk to, with us about Hard Boiled. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Um, Nick, we're going to start off, apparently this being our second intro to episode, you know, when we talk to people in our lives about what we're doing with the podcast and stuff, and of course we say, oh, we're going to do an intro to Hard Boiled, and we got the exact same question from everybody that we got when we mentioned Bizarro, and that was exactly, what the hell is Hard Boiled? <laughs> hard Boiled is a, uh, I guess, a subgenre of crime, and I guess one of the things that characterizes it is the, the Hard Boiled Edge, the, the no extraneous words. Yeah, the, the prose itself and the stories are just very lean and tight, um, as opposed to the, I guess, longer, more winding mystery type things. Cool. Yeah, so um, we talk a lot about noir, and uh, we just happen to stumble on a lot of books that fall into the noir category that we, we've read and stuff like that. So what would you say are some of the distinct differences between noir and hard-boiled? Honestly, I, I don't really know. It's it's kind of the same thing as defining noir it's all <laughs> they're all dealing with damaged people and you know bleak circumstances and a lot of times they they tend to be loners or um you know a very small group of people um there's a lot of moral and moral ambiguity and you know you know that things are going to get pretty bad um so where hard-boiled starts and noir stops i i don't really know um i think it's I think it's probably more of a tonal thing. Like noir is just a little bleaker, maybe. Very cool. Where did uh, where did Hard Boiled get its start? Where where are its roots? Um, it, I've heard two different stories on on the the coining of the term. Um, one of them was that it was kind of a reaction to the the authors who would get paid a, a penny per word or whatever it was. So they would write these bloated, epic stories just so that they could make more money. And um, Hard Boiled came as a reaction to that. And it was, you know, it was hard boiled. It was boiled down. And so it was only the bare minimum of what you needed. And the descriptions were, you know, fast and tight and the, the action moved quickly and all that. Um, and then the other origin story that I heard was that it was hard boiled like a hard boiled egg. So... <laughs> I hope that it's the first one because it sounds a lot so, yeah. cooler than... Well, yeah, one is distinctly cooler than the other. We're going to stick with that first one, I think. Yeah, that's what I'll go with. <laughs> um, Hard Boiled really came up in the 20s. Um, Black Mask was one of the one of the biggest um, uh, proponents of it, I guess. Um, uh, it was Black Mask Magazine. It was one of the old pulps. Uh, it was actually founded by um, 
H.L. Mencken, who's a, a Baltimore boy. Um, but then in the, I think it was like the 30s or so, um, Joseph Shaw became the editor. And he kind of brought it to the status that it has now as this, you know, this legendary um, pulp crime magazine. So in, in the beginning, the, the Hartboiled wasn't just, um, it wasn't just crime and detectives. It was, I think they did some, some fantasy or, well, not fantasy, I guess it's more sci-fi um, and a lot of Westerns and stuff like that. And then I think it was Shaw who brought them or who focused them more explicitly on uh, crime and detective stories. All right. And uh, what about the current day? Where is hard-boiled uh, uh, in the current day? Well, I think there's been, well, I don't think there has been a, a big resurgence in crime and noir and hard-boiled. Um, some of it takes a more traditional approach, I guess. Um, hard case crimes or hard case crime uh, is a, like a pulpy type imprint um, that just puts out absolutely fantastic books. Um, Krista Faust has a couple books out on them. Um, and they, they have the traditional kind of pulp, um, uh, covers and they just, they take really, you know, hard boiled stories. Um, but I think the, the, the genre itself or, you know, the, the big umbrella genre is getting so big or becoming big again, um, because the circumstances now are pretty similar to when it first started to get big, um, you know, you had the 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 hard boiled protagonist kind of came out of the um, like the the mythological or the mythical cowboy uh, stereotype or archetype out of the late eighteen hundreds, and then he's replaced by the um, like the urban tough guy, the hard boy or whatever, um, and then he kind of morphs from that into the uh, into the kind of amoral everyman that he he sort of is today. And it kind of uh, not just reflects the uh, the psyche of the nation, but kind of the the I don't know, I guess the trajectory of the country, with um, you know the country becoming more urbanized and the lines between good and bad are much more blurred than they used to be. You know, instead of the Puritan cowboy, and then they had all the the morally upright PIs who would bend the rules a little bit back in the '30s with Chandler and stuff, and now it's uh, Phineas Poe. <laughs> Can you give our listeners maybe some movie examples that would fit the hard-boiled genre, just to give them kind of a picture of what to expect if they were to crack open a book? I was thinking about this, and I had a really tough time coming up with it. And I think that it's interesting because there's, if you get a hard-boiled, you can have hard-boiled literature, but whenever you get something like that in film, it's generally classified as film noir. And I don't know why they have the distinction um there's this really great uh podcast called um out of the past um investigating film noir which besides the booked podcast and i'm not just saying it because i'm on here but besides booked it's the only other podcast that i listen to regularly but they they investigate all these uh traditional film noirs and then the the contemporary ones and look at the different characteristics and um what makes them film noir and themes and all that um so i don't know why there's the distinction between hard-boiled and noir and film but i think things like uh things like chinatown um is probably uh it's basically the i don't know the chandler book that was never written by chandler (laughs) 
stuff like the Coen Brothers, uh, the man who wasn't there is a you know kind of like a James Kane, James M. Kane uh, melodrama, The Usual Suspects, um, oh, and man. actually I really think that The Big Lebowski is basically a hard boiled novel, but just the uh, the last person in the world who should be a hard boiled protagonist <laughs> is uh, is the protagonist of it, but it, it pretty much follows The Big Sleep anyway. Yeah, that's Just what I was gonna say. It's kind of inspired by, by um, yeah, earlier. Yeah, the big sleep is what it was inspired on, right? Yeah. 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 Note the silence from my end. I have no idea what you guys are talking about. <laughs> oh my god, the big Liv- Yeah, Livius has never seen it. Uh, I, Livius has the weirdest taste in uh, in films of anybody that I've known in a long time, and so anything that's big and well-known he's most likely never either a never heard of or b he definitely hasn't seen it <laughs> i will bring my copy out to chicago so you can watch it at awp well there you go <laughs> and, and here i was gonna tote around my copy of uh i can't even say it with a straight face a paranormal activity three <laughs> fresh out of the fresh it. out of the red box so i watched the second one and it, i couldn't handle it i kept freaking out because they kept going near the kid Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. I was like, "What kind of tough guy are you supposed to be?" <laughs> this it changes your perspective when you have one of your own. Yeah, it makes it more interesting, definitely. <laughs> All right. So, who are some of the big names in the hardboiled genre? In the the classic hardboiled, um, I definitely say you know Dashiell Hammett was one of like probably one of the first big names. Um, he's also another uh, Baltimore boy. And I heard that the uh, the Maltese Falcon was inspired by I think there were there were owls or something like that that were carved on the outs on the facade of uh, the Baltimore it was either the city court or city hall and he was um, he was a courthouse reporter or something like that and he would sit across the street from it and uh, he saw them and supposedly that was the was the inspiration for the Maltese Falcon. Um, James M. Kane is probably my favorite of the uh, of the old hard boiled ones. He just there's this really uh, strong sense of inevi- inevitability with everything that he writes. Um, Chandler is probably the most well known one, and uh, probably the most lyrical of any of the old guys. But um, I I like Hammett and Kane more than I like Chandler. Um, and then getting into the more modern ones, God, there are so many of them. Um, guys like Kent Gowron, um, Dwayne Serzinski. He's well, he's kind of hard-boiled, kind of thriller-ish. Um, I should have written these down because there's so many good ones that I'm just completely drawing a blank on. Um, ben Whitmer is another fantastic writer. Um, Pike is probably one of the best hard-boiled novels, if it's hard-boiled or whatever it is. It's one of the uh, most streamlined novels I've read you know, in the last 10 years or so. There's not an extraneous word in it, and it is so, so tightly uh, composed. God, there are so many good ones. I can't <laughs> even think of all of them. <laughs> That's cool. Um, I'm sure that we can pop them back in as we go if, if a name strikes you that uh, you haven't mentioned already. Okay, cool. You mentioned, this is kind of straying away a little bit from, from our format here, but you mentioned how tight the stories are. What is it that that a reader or even an author finds appealing about that style rather than something a little more sprawling in, in its prose? Well, for, 
for me, I have a very short attention span. <laughs> and um, I don't, especially since I had a kid, I don't have a ton of time to write because I have two jobs and a kid. Um, so I really like the, I especially like the novellas um, because I can pound out, you know, a thousand, two thousand words while he's taking a nap and then not touch it for two days. And, you know, I do that hard for two or three weeks and I've got a piece of work. Um, but there's just something really satisfying about sitting down and reading an entire, you know, an entire story in one, maybe two sittings. Um, and the, I mean, if you keep the story streamlined and keep that momentum going, then uh, as a writer, you know that the reader isn't going to want to put it down. They're going to want to know what happens next. Back to the, the question about the big names and genre and talking about uh, authors in general. During the Warmed and Bound sessions that we did last last year, we talked a little bit with a, a few different um, authors about noir being kind of a boys club or you know whether it was intentional or not. Um, we talked to Pela Villa and Amanda Gowan and Craig Clevenger actually had a little bit to say about it as well. Do you think that's something that um, is true within the hard-boiled genre as well? No, absolutely not. Um, there, I mean, it's it's male-dominated, um, obviously, but there are there are a number of women who are just absolutely killing it. Um, Megan Abbott is uh, is a fantastic writer. She wrote uh, a couple sort of period books that were in the uh, 30s and 40s and 50s. Um, and then her most recent one, The End of Everything, is more recent, um, or is set, in, set more contemporary. Um, and she actually wrote this really good uh, theory book called The Street Was Mine, um, which is where I got some of the stuff about um, the the cowboy, the progression from the cowboy to the urbanite or to the urban uh, setting and all that. Um, Krista Faust is is a fantastic writer. Um, Patricia Abbott, who's actually Megan Abbott's mother, just had a, uh, a short story collection come out on Snubnose Press. That's that's really 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 good. Um, Sarah Gran, I, I guess she's sort of hard boiled. She wrote a hard boiled no novel called Dope about uh, six or seven years ago. She also wrote um, Come Closer, which is one of the most terrifying books I've ever read. Um, who else is there? Hilary Davidson is a really, really good writer. She uh, Her second book just came out, or is about to come out, I think. Her first book, uh, The Damage Done, was nominated for an Edgar and all kinds of stuff. So there, there are a lot of women who are just, just kicking ass all over the place. That's good news. I think that, um, well, yeah, like when we were talking to Pela and Amanda Gowan, especially, their impression, at least within their the little, you know, the culture that they they live within, as far in the in the kind of more crimeish noirish writing, was that they didn't feel like they were unwelcome, but they did feel like there was not a lot of of female writers that they could, you know, like you know, con contemporaries out there that for the for them, I guess, in the type of story they were writing. So that's good news as far as the the hard boiled goes yeah and i don't know i don't know where there's that distinction like what makes the difference between the two because <laughs> i mean the 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 genres themselves are just hairs apart from each other you know it's just a little bit of a tone and and one of them they use the knife and the other one they just brandish it yeah. um so I, I don't know what why that um why the difference is but do you think that there is also um kind of the even split in the um in the readership too? Do you think that's an overwhelming number of guys who read the books or do you think there are a lot of women that take them in as well? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would, 
I would guess that women are probably the majority of the readers, um, just because all the statistics that you see about, you know, writing and publishing is that males publish the majority of books and females are the majority of readers. Um, but I, I really have no idea. Yeah, I mean, when you flip it around and you look at something like category like romance, I'm sure that it's, you know, it's the exact opposite. It's probably a ton of women writing, very few men. And then the readership is probably also, you know, 90%, 80% maybe women readers. So I was wondering if that could be flipped by the uh, by the gender of the author, too. If it's an overwhelming number of authors writing in the crime community, you know, is it more guys reading it than women? Yeah, I don't know. It would be interesting to find out, though. Mm-hmm. I, I would know who to market books <laughs> yeah. towards better. <laughs> Not that I really market my books very well anyway. but You mentioned um, a ton of different authors. Um, can you narrow down and give us a couple of the quintessential hard-boiled novels? I'd have to say the for the classic hard-boiled um, Postman, uh, the Postman Always Rings Twice, has always been one of my top books ever written. And probably for contemporary... I think I'd say Pike by uh, Benjamin Whitmer. It's just, it, it's such a fantastic book. And it's, you know, there really is not an extraneous word in the entire novel. And it's, I always think that the, uh, that the short chapters are kind of like a, uh, like a grocery store mystery cop out, you know, and that they, there's 150 chapters in the book because they don't count on the reader reading more than, I don't know, two pages before they get bored or something like that. So they have to constantly have a, uh, a cliffhanger and uh in pike they have these uh two three maybe four um page chapters but each chapter is so tight and so densely composed um and it's just you know you really it really is a compulsion to finish the book and to keep reading because you just you just physically can't stop reading it's just i mean it's awful it's it's really really brutal it's violent but the uh some of his turns of phrase are just absolutely stunning I will say about the the short chapters that you mentioned, I'm totally on the fence about that. Um, kind of like you were saying, sometimes it feels like it's just to keep the pacing kind of quick. But, yeah, it's uh, like artificial pacing. Yeah, exactly. But in certain circumstances, it feels like if it's not done well, you could almost just like completely in your mind gloss over what you just read because it happened so quickly. It's like it's fleeting and it doesn't stay with you kind of. So if it's done wrong, yeah, that can be a terrible experience yeah uh, i just thought of two other um great uh contemporary hardboiled hard-boiled writers um i guess he's hard-boiled um anthony neil smith writes some weird amalgamation of noir <laughs> thriller uh psychosexual rockabilly whatever it is but it's fantastic and um his label mate ray banks is probably one of the best guys out there in crime right now we're big fans of Anthony Neil Smith. In case anybody has never listened to another episode, yeah, I, I like your uh, your interviews with him. Yeah. He's a he's a smart dude. He is very very engaging. He uh Probably. yeah, and he's gonna be at AWP, so we're gonna try and milk that and get as much time over there with him as we can. To actually meet him in person would be pretty cool. Yeah, at the reading. Oh yeah. Right. If you were to create, so that was a couple of the, the, you know, the quintessential novels, but if you were to just want to get somebody's feet wet with like a hard boiled starter kit, what books or stories would you include in that? Well, I'd have to say, uh, definitely Postman, um, probably the big sleep because it's probably the most well-known of the, uh, of the hard boileds. 
and I think it's probably Chandler's best. And it, I, I teach it in my um, in my college comp class actually, because it's a little more interesting than reading some esoteric Japanese novels that I can't get freshmen to give a shit about. <laughs> um, but it's it's got this fantastic balance of you know a, a very strong plot and character uh, characterization, and then he has these great metaphors and you know the themes that run throughout it. So I can get a uh, academic on them even though one of the characters is completely lost in the uh, in the book and Chandler just forgot about him as he was writing <laughs> <laughs> and if, I guess one of the stories I heard was that he was drunk when he was writing it and just forgot what happened to the guy one character you don't even know who killed him even though supposedly everyone solved it um, <laughs> but for the uh, I'd say for mid-century something like uh, any of the Mickey Splane books or uh, Mickey Splane's My Camera books um, Chester Himes uh, Contemporary uh, definitely Pike um, any of the hard case crime books would be good um, Krista Faust uh, she has three out recently well sort of recently um, Money Shot Chokehold and Double D that I just got a copy of um Megan Abbott's kind of period books, uh, the the 30s, 40s, and 50 books are uh, fantastic. That ought to keep you occupied for at least two weeks. <laughs> yeah. All right. Do you know uh, anything, say, on the internet or any kind of general hard-boiled resources for people who are kind of getting into the idea of the genre, like websites or any kind of, you know, e-magazines or regular magazines or new newsletters that are that are good resources of information for for people? Oh yeah, absolutely. There, there are a ton of them. I think the the internet has really uh, helped to spurn the uh, the resurgence. Um, and you can go to Spine Tingler, um, Spine Tingler magazine. They have reviews. I write book reviews for them, but they have you know kind of articles about uh, kind of all things crimeish. Um, they have fresh um, uh, new stories. Um, both Flash and regular, they have this new thing called the Rogues Gallery where people talk about um, film noir. Um, if you look at sites like Shotgun Honey, um, Plots with Guns, uh, Be to a Pulp, All Due Respect, Yellow Mama, Thrilling Detective, God, there's a ton of them. Uh, Punch Nels just had a hard-boiled down contest that um, I won't narcissistically plug because I was one of the winners. <laughs> Um, I was going to say, I know where this is going. <laughs> at least I'm honest with it. <laughs> yeah, there, there are a ton of great sites that are they're putting out excellent fiction. Um, if you go to any of those, you'll find another fantastic writer, um, Matthew C. Funk. He's uh, he's popping up all over the place. And um, he, his uh, prolific writing amazes me almost as much as uh, Stephen Graham Jones's. He's got, I swear to God, he's got a story out like every other week or wow. every other day, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Stephen Graham Jones, that dude produces. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've seen the name Funk pop up quite a bit recently too. So someone who's yeah, on our radar. He's fantastic. Cool, awesome. And I so, keep saying fantastic all the time, but I feel like if I said awesome, everyone would just thinking <laughs> surf bum or something, which I pretty much am. But so that's nice because like uh, a lot of the places you mentioned have regularly posted new like short stories and stuff like that so yeah um it's awesome like you said the internet's fantastic for um 
yeah, just finding fresh new stuff. And if you like a story by an author, you can go then straight over to Amazon and find like a billion things that they've written. So that is really yeah, exciting. The, the giving away the Kindle um, collections and Kindle stories has, it, it's been, I don't know, it's, it, it's a weird time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but there are, there are so many people who have out all these great collections and, you know, with the, with the e-publishing, there's, there's so much available and so much that, um, so much that you can accomplish with very little, you know, for sure. And, and the cool thing about it is like, we know we authors that we've talked to in the past and stuff have done, you know, giveaways of certain things and seen almost an immediate turnaround of, of sales of other stuff that they've done. And so it's kind of a win-win, like, you know, the people, you know, the consumers get some free stuff. And then, you know, because of that, you know, if they like it, they move on and buy more stuff. So you're right. It's like the Internet is changing kind of the whole face of things. Yeah, yeah, it is. For the better, I think. So we're in the midst of a resurgence for Hard Boiled. Where do you see it heading? Um, I, th- I think the e-publishing uh, and, or the availability of e-publishing will definitely play a big um a big role in it um i think that alongside the the interest in hard-boiled and uh you know noir and all that rising um i think that the the e-publishing is going to create kind of like the new pulps or we're we're going to be entering the age of the new pulps where you can put out really cheaply made cheaply uh monetarily uh cheaply made magazines collections story uh, short stories long short stories novellas all that kind of stuff and um you can do it for virtually no money so people get this fantastic product and they don't have to pay anything or they pay 99 cents and you can spend 10 bucks on on kindle if you use it wisely and just poke around a little bit and get you know 15 novellas that are top class um so i think that the the e-publishing and the internet is definitely pushing not only the um, the growth of it or the popularity of it, but I think it's also increasing the quality because they're a lot of the the self publishing um, haters say that you know there's no gatekeeper anymore and you know all, uh, crap can get published. Anyone with a keyboard and a, an Amazon password can can be an author, <laughs> and I mean that's true. But at the same time, look at the grocery store. You know, it sucks. It's awful. It's embarrassing. The grocery store racks, not the grocery store itself. Although the grocery <laughs> store itself is kind of embarrassing for a completely different reason. But there, if you write a, a really crappy book or put out a crappy collection, then no one's going to talk about it, and it's just going to die slow, quiet death. And that's fine. You know, you shouldn't have written it, or you should have wrote it better. But the ones that are good, um, you know, word of mouth is just going to. I find almost everything from word of mouth, just from Facebook and Twitter, from people talking about it or recommending it, or you know, looking at who else has been published on a site that I like and, you know, I can go and find a 99 cent collection and it's, it's awesome. I've read more since I got my Kindle than I had probably in the six months beforehand. I got a Kindle for Christmas and I've probably read like, I don't know, maybe 15 books and a couple, probably like six or seven novellas already. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's, I don't know why either. Because I mean, <laughs> I could pick up and put down a regular book as I, please but for whatever reason i just i just read more it's interesting that you say that rob and i were talking um the other day and uh you know i don't keep my wi-fi on on my kindle but i go and i pick up these collections and like you said they're 99 cents or someone's giving away something for free 
and I connect to Wi-Fi to buy something and I get slammed with like eight or nine titles from the last time I turned on the Wi-Fi that I've gotten for a song, literally, you know, either free or, or for like you said, a buck or a dollar ninety nine. And it's uh it's pretty amazing what you could put together, you know, with the same amount of money I used to walk into borders or, you know, crown books years ago and drop on one hardcover book. I can pick up fifteen or eighteen titles for the Kindle. Oh yeah. And I mean there there are whole presses that are completely exploiting this. Um Stumnose Press is an um an e press. Um and they put out they just put out a, a collection by Les Egerton. Um you know I uh, again narcissistically I have a collection coming out <laughs> this year. Um and they reissued um Old Ghosts, a novella that I had last year. Um Sandra Rattan, uh Patty Abbott, who I mentioned earlier, has a has a collection out on them. Um and then Mysterious Press is uh, reissuing all the old or a bunch of old crime classics in e-format. Um, Blasted Heath, who I think you guys spoke with Al Guthrie a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know they put out these fantastic books, and it's you know like a buck fifty or something like that. And it's I mean you can't there there is literally no way to beat any of that. I would easily pay ten bucks for it, and I get it for cheaper i can get to read more i can tell everyone about it they go buy it you know so it's just i I think it's a really i think it's a great time to be a writer even if you're as um luddite as i am and resistant to uh, facebook and twitter (laughs) yeah it is pretty crazy and i was thinking about this the other day because i broke my kindle last summer um and i put it in your back pocket and sit down too Uh, you know what i i (laughs) I, I, I honestly don't know what happened, but it was in my uh, my bag, and I pulled it out, and half the screen was just kind of all just lines. So I'm sure I'm sure it was something I did, but um, got to replace it for. I got to get to the the next the next generation of Kindle for like eighty bucks. So it was like a really great deal. Um, so I haven't put in. I ha- I didn't put anything on the new Kindle that I had on the old one. I just I just went with whatever I was reading at the time, and so I mean like that was you know, May or June or it was probably July of last year. And I open up, I was looking at my Kindle today and I, like Livia said, I, I turned on the Wi-Fi and like four, four titles downloaded. And suddenly I looked at it and I'm like, Oh, I'm like, I know about 65 titles on my Kindle. And that's just stuff that I've read. It's not stuff that I bought that I'll get to later. That's just stuff that I've read. So mm-hmm. I, I'm right there with you just, you know, between novellas and short stories and collections and, you know, the books that we read for our podcast having the Kindle is just so convenient that it seems like it's effortless almost to get stuff to read and have awesome stuff in your fingertips. It's and not okay. Having e-readers, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not a total Am- Amazon uh, monkey yet, but um, yeah, it's, it's just, I think the ease of use is, is just unbeatable. I'm going to go out on a limb guys and I'm going to predict this Kindle thing is going to be big. <laughs> Hey, Liv, can I borrow your flux capacitor, too? Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen Back to the Future, Livius? No. Oh. <laughs> Are you serious? Yes. Are you serious? Yes, I'm very serious. Oh, my God. Wow. I had, I had this class last semester where we were talking about narrative chronology. So I built this entire lesson around Back to the Future. Oh, so cool. I started with the lead in, and I'm say something about marty mcfly and everyone just kind of looks at me i was like you know like marty mcfly back to the future and they just stare at me like you don't know what back to the future is like no no? i'm like oh geez get get out of class get out now we're done we're done for today 
what age are you teaching? Uh, college freshman. College freshman. Okay. Well, it's generally speaking, it's freshman, but we also have um, returning students who are anywhere between forty and fifty. Okay, I thought you were teaching at college level, but I just wanted to make sure because I know you said freshman earlier, and I didn't want to have the wrong image in my mind. So, yeah, that's <laughs> those kids are like thirteen. Of course, they haven't heard it back to the yeah. Future. That's what I was. That's <laughs> why. I <asked. laughs> Wow, I'm fam- I'm familiar with it, and I understand the pop culture references that are made about DeLoreans and Flux <laughs> capacitors and Marty McFly. But no, I've never I've never watched it. If you have a VHS player, you can borrow mine. <laughs> yeah, he's just you're just gonna show up in Chicago with a backpack full of movies that Livius needs to watch. Gonna go out and buy you're one. Not of going those. To you're not going to AWP. We're locking you in the hotel with my top loading VCR. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like an airplane when you open it. <laughs> wow. Do you remember the cars that they used to have that would rewind the tapes for you because the VCRs didn't have rewind? Yes. Yes, nice. I do. And I've watched a lot of movies. I don't recently. I mean, over the last few years, I've kind of given up on movies. But <laughs> you mean since 1985? Yeah. No, it's like two years. And. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just I don't know. I it's it's I think the more well first of all I don't really care for too much that would be considered comedy. So when someone tells me a movie's really funny, that's usually enough to turn me off from watching it. Not that I don't like some comedies, I just have a very different sense of humor apparently from most other people. I finally watched The Hangover. Um and you know, I was like, "Meh, it was okay." Like that was my my thought on it and that's why I'm not watching The Hangover 2. Yeah. So, but I've just found that typically and I have friends and and the Rob being one of them, the more I hear them talk about how great a movie is, and then they start quoting like funny lines, the less I want to see the movie. <laughs> okay, but The Big Lebowski, going back to that, is just <clears throat> such a fantastic movie on, on so many levels. And it's a good story. That's the thing about it. It's a good story. All things aside, I think it's a good story. That's all I'm saying. Okay. I want to show it in my class after we read the big sleep if I have time so that we can draw the parallels between them I'm going to move to Baltimore and start taking your classes um, you know I believe I read a Raymond Chandler book and I can't for the life of me remember what it was it was about a detective in like New Orleans and he was investigating some type of murder or something so, I've been trying like for, for two days since we started writing the notes for this episode to think of what it was I have no idea what it is <laughs> Oh, I don't know. Yeah, no idea. Most of the ones that, that I've read are, um, they're all LA-based. Then maybe it wasn't Raymond Chandler. Maybe I was totally barking up the wrong tree. I know I got it off a list of, like, great classic noir books. I do know that, because I went out and looked for it and read it, and I thought, you know, it was pretty good, but I have no recollection of who it was by, apparently, or what it was about. <laughs> <laughs> but it does make for great podcasting. It does, doesn't it? I, I'm listening. There's no one listening anymore. It's full. They've all tuned out. It's the one with the tough-talking detective uh, who drinks and smokes too much. <laughs> yeah, and there was a woman in it, and she was kind of bad, but she was kind of coming out of the detective. Yeah, it was very, very classic Femme Fatale, you know, <laughs> down-and-out P.I. type thing, which is probably why it wasn't so memorable, because it didn't really stand out from all the other stories that seemed to be a lot like that. Oh, you know what? One thing I wanted to say that I kind of forgot, but we, 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 just, uh, sorry, we just got done reading tobacco stained mountain goat by andre bergen and um that book is like almost like a a love letter to the hard-boiled 
kind of detective story type. It's crazy how how much, and it's it's obvious throughout throughout the book. You know, he's talking about you know all these classic movies and stories and stuff like that. Um, and so it, it's kind of funny that we read that book and then coincidentally are doing this this episode. But um, yeah, let me see some of the stuff like. He drops lots of references to uh, to stuff like Dashiell Hammett, Raymond Chandler. He talks about characters like Sam Spade and Philip Marlowe, and then you know some actors from movies like you know Humphrey Bogart and stuff like that. So it's just a huge love letter to the hard boiled genre. Cool. Um, I think that just moved up my list. Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it goes so far as to uh, he because the the main character is is a is a big fan of of all these old movies and stuff like that, that he makes so many references that in the back of the book, the dude's got a whole like four page list of, of everything that he made reference to. Um, so that you can kind of check it out and, and know what he's talking about and stuff. That's cool. Yeah. That is very cool. Yeah. So Nick, tell us what you're currently working on. Uh, right now I am editing two novels that I hope to have together by one of them together by the summer um and then one of the other one which is the sequel i guess though i wrote it first um i have that one together by the uh by the end of the year um i have a couple stories coming out in uh in various magazines and uh collections i've got one in the winter edition of needle magazine and um the b2 a pulp hard-boiled anthology um number two what else? Oh, I, I'm not sure when this is airing, but if there's anyone in the uh, Arlington, Virginia area, I'm doing a noir panel um, next Wednesday, February 15th at a place called One More Page Books. It's part of uh, George Mason's Fall for the Book Festival. Um, but I'll be joining um, Elizabeth Hand, who's a, a like New York Times bestseller uh, lady from um, D.C., uh, Sandra Ruthann from Spine Tingler. And uh, James Grady, who wrote Six Days of the Condor, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> and uh, the panel's moderated by Con Lehane. Um, so that should be that should be really cool. I'm really looking forward to that. Kind of nervous, but yeah, and we're, I'm working on a uh, super secret project that we can't talk about, so I'll just mention it to tease people. Super secret. Um, anything else you want to plug or talk about before we start to wrap things up? Oh God, where do you even start? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did that um, to, when we were talking to Richard Thomas, and that was like an extra twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't. I don't even know. Now I just go listen to this podcast again and write down all the names and go buy their books. <laughs> That's what we like to hear. Um, Nick, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and talk to us here at Book. We really appreciate it. And thanks for the lesson. Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, once again, big thanks to Nick Corpon for coming on to uh, teach us a little bit more about Hard Boiled. Uh, I'm really digging these Intro 2 series because that was a wealth of information, and I don't think that uh, I would have... It would have taken me a lot longer to, to get to that stuff if I just did it on my own. Yeah, and if you've missed it, um, go back a couple weeks, listen to the Intro to Bizarro episode, learn a little bit about that. And if you need to learn more about our guest, you can find him at Nick corpon.com that's n-i-k-k-o-r-p-o-n.com all right we'll put that up on the post for this episode as well as links to as many of the things that he mentioned as possible 
Uh, so that will just about do it for this intro to episode of Booked. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Sned, and keep learning.